Good to see you today. Glad to be here with you all. We worship God and hear from Him. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. Again, just uh, thankful to be here with all of you. Hey, before we get into the message, I got a quick announcement, something exciting that happened this past week, and that is that Midtown Church finally got our very first office space. And so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad y'all are excited. I'm very excited about that. I've been uh, three and a half years now since we planted a church. I've been a nomad, coffee house to coffee house every week, and uh, now finally have an office space. Really, really excited about that. And what's super cool is that it's really close to here. In fact, it's just two blocks to the west. It's behind Bonsai or, or where Easy's used to be. It's, that's where we are. That's our office space. And so come visit us. Come hang out. And if, uh, if you've been waiting for a counseling appointment and you didn't, because you didn't want to cry in Starbucks across from me, which I've had to put, like, that's actually had to happen a number of times. Uh, now we've got a private place. It's great. So, hey, there, there we go. Um, so I just want you all to know this. Also, what's real exciting about it is, like, but not just the collaboration that could come out of it from the staff getting to work together, you know, like all stationed in one place, which is great, but we are also sharing the space with another Hill Country Bible Church. And if you're familiar with our association of Hill Country Bible Churches, we've been planted by them. We've got another church that's a part of that association called The Well, and we're sharing this office space with them, cut down costs, but also for us to be able collaborate with another, uh, another staff. In fact, I got pictures of that's, uh, that's Tori and, and Michael. Those guys are the uh, pastors there. And so we're going to do a lot of with them. In fact, one of the things I'm super excited about is that we shared back in the fall that we have the, one of the things that we're aiming for, that we want to partner with God to do is to plant a church in 2019. Well, the well is the church that we're going to try to partner, partner with in planting that church. And so the thing that God bringing us to office together is one step towards what we hope is seeing this church being birthed out of our church and their church. So, man, lots of stuff that God's doing through this office. Just really, really excited about that. Now, I also want to just quickly take a tangent and talk about money real quick. <laughs> because if you've been keeping up with us on our bulletins or if you received an email from us in December, you're, you're aware that we're running a deficit right now as a church. In fact, currently, as we speak, we're about $14,000 behind on our budget. And in light of that, you might say, then why did you choose to get an office, <laughs> right? And that's a fair question. So that's why I wanted to bring this up. Um, really, it's just a unique uh, provision from God. Uh, Hill Country UT back designated done a building campaign, raised some money for it, and didn't spend all that money that was in that designated building fund campaign. And there was $25,000 sitting in that fund earmarked for building space that hadn't been used. Well, that's the money that we're using to pay for this rental space. It's going to get us rent uh, this rental space for a whole year out of that designated fund. It's not coming out of our general fund. Now, after a year, will we still have money to be able to stay in this rental space? We don't know. We'll live by faith and we'll see what God does. And hopefully one of the things God does is he continues to move in us, grow in us a generous heart to really uh, fund the ministry of our church to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child. But for now, that's how we're paying for that space, all right? So, so if you've got any questions on that, you got anything, then come talk to me. If you want to find out uh, when you can pop in and say hi this week, come talk to me after the message as well. But anyways, very excited about that, and I uh, just want to pass on the good news. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, God, thanks for this uh, office space that you've provided and God, thanks for the good work you're doing in our church to, to root us in Central Austin, that we could be a, a part of the way that you're trying to get the gospel every man, woman, and child in Austin. Thank you for the, the well, and we pray that you just bless their service this morning too, and thank you for how you're using them in our city to, to fill, the earth, fill the earth and knowledge of the Lord. 
And God, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning and that you would open our ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have to say to us, that we would be able to uh, grow in contentment no matter what comes at us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, we are continuing our series in the book of Habakkuk. This is our third week in this book. We're going to be walking basically through all of, of chapter two and uh, this morning. We've called the series uh, Contentment and Troubling Times. And uh, basically, the idea of it is how can we be content even when we are facing troubling times? Is there a type of contentment that is not completely linked to our circumstances? If there is, I think we could all agree, and that would be nice to know. I, I, I want some of that kind of contentment. That would be great, like this sense of inner well-being, this like inner rest of your soul. And if I could have that all the time, no matter what was happening around me, man, that, that would be great, especially in light of the world we live in, right? And we're in the midst of all kinds of troubling times. I'm trying not to get uh, too political here. But I do know that there are many people in this room and definitely in our nation today that with the inauguration of President Trump, many of you really are worried that our nation is about to head into four years of very troubling times. Now, there are many here that feel the complete opposite that are very worried about it. Let me ask, what if it does? What if the next four years goes terrible? Will you be okay? Is there any sense that's in you that says, no, I, I will have, I'll be at rest. I will have, be able to be content no matter what is happening in our nation. Is that even possible? For those of you that think, hey, no, no, the next four years are going to be great. There's always a chance, though, that for you or for any of us, that personally, we could all experience troubling times. Where you lose a loved one or you lose your health or you lose your job, and all of a sudden, like, your world's kind of falling apart around you. Is there any chance for you to be okay during that time? I mean, is, is there, is it even an option for you to say, man, you know, even though this is all happening, my life is falling apart, I still have this rest. I still have this contentment, this, this inner peace that's disassociated from my circumstances. Like, is that really an option for us? Well, the book of Habakkuk says it is. That through this book, God communicates to us that it is possible for you to be content even in troubling circumstances. And what's unique about Habakkuk is that he really was facing terrible, terrible national troubles and terrible, terrible personal troubles. If you remember from chapter 1, a couple weeks back, we looked at how Habakkuk was looking at all over, all over the nation of Judah, and he's saying, everywhere I look, I just see injustice and violence, that the law is perverted everywhere. All the people have turned away from God, and he calls out to God, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? And then God answers him, and he says, well, I actually am doing something about this, but you won't believe it when I tell you that he tells Habakkuk, here's what I'm doing. I'm actually raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And they're going to come in and they're going to conquer Judah. They're going to be my form of judging the nation of Judah. 
Well, Habakkuk hears this, and he really doesn't believe what he hears from God. He's like, what in the world? Like, that doesn't make any sense. How can you let people more unrighteous than we are judge us? Why would you let them go well, things go well for them? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Where's the justice in that? And so he prays, and he just complains, and he criticizes God's character and, he, and God's choices. And as that's that's how chapter 1 ends. It's in, he's in a terrible spot because his nation, he's told like his nation is, is going terribly <laughs> and it's about to get wiped out. That's a bad spot nationally. And then personally, he's the prophet. He's a prophet in Jerusalem. His, his work was tied to the temple. When Babylon, he's looking at like I'm conquered uh, Jerusalem, they tear down the temple. So he's looking at, like, okay, I'm definitely out of work, right? And he might be losing his life. That's personal troubles, right, of the greatest extent. So he's saying, man, I, like, this is terrible. This is, this is troubling times. And he responds the way that we respond. He's mad. He's complaining. He's criticizing. And he climbs up to this watchtower, and he says, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to be on the lookout until God answers my complaints. I'm like, we get that. We get why he would do that. Well, in this passage, God replies to him. And what God says here completely changes Habakkuk's life. What God says in this passage leads to radical transformation. Habakkuk goes from chapter 1 of being a whiner to in chapter 3, as we'll see in a couple weeks when we get to that passage, in chapter 3 you see he becomes a worshiper. In fact, all of chapter 3 is just Habakkuk's song of praise to God. It complete, it's complete like stark contrast with chapter 1. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 do not make sense except for what God says in chapter 2 changes him from being a complainer to being content. So let's look at this. Because what God says to Habakkuk, he also says to us. And it is the way for us to find rest, to find contentment, even in the most troubling of circumstances. So we're going to pick up chapter 2. We're just going to jump into verse 4, uh, verses uh, Two, through, two and three is God beginning this vision and just saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but you're going to have to wait for it. But then in chapter four, he begins saying what is going to happen. Here's what he says. I'm going to read all the way through this, so try to keep up with me. I'll make some comments along the way. All right, chapter, uh, chapter two, verse four. God says, behold his, and he's talking about the Babylonians, his soul is puffed up. It's prideful. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. That his greed, again the Babylonians, is as wide as shale. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and he collects as his own all peoples. And I'll stop here and just make a comment. So this is basically the prelude. God is saying, here's why I'm about to do what I'm saying I'm about to do. <laughs> it's because the Babylonians, they're prideful and they're never satisfied. And they just conquer nation after bat, to the bat nation. Now, there's going to come a time where the nations that they've conquered are going to rise up, and it's going to be to, bat, to, the, Babel, uh, to the Babylonian destruction. In fact, this is what he says in verse 6. He begins what's known as an as ancient taunt song. 
It's, it's kind of like trash talking. It's, it's, that's, it, it's kind of interesting because there's, like, there's five stanzas here. Each one's three verses. Every, one in, every uh, stanza includes a woe statement of judgment from God. Follow along. He says this, verse 6. Shall not all these, mean all the nations that uh, Babylon has uh, conquered, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with, sco- with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations. And all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the, to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. That's the first woe. Second one, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have, despised, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the wood, uh, woodwork respond. Third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nothing weary and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. And then one final woe. Verse 18. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? The Lord, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. All right. So now do you understand how you can be content? <laughs> I'm telling you, when Habakkuk heard this from God, it was transformative. It really did free him and usher him into this kind of contentment where he's, that he's knows not, he had known not of. It's amazing. But to get it, you gotta, let me, I need to unpack this some, okay? So here, let me just tell you where I'm going, and then we'll, and then we'll try to get there, all right? But what... Habakkuk hears from God in this passage is this. He hears, Habakkuk, he hears God saying, Habakkuk, you can rest if you're confident in my character. And you, and you can rest if you will connect yourself to my cause, my mission, what I'm doing in the world. And you can rest, you can rest if you're confident in my control. See, if we're confident and God's character, and we connect to his cause, and we're confident in his control, that that's the key to this rest, to this contentment that is disassociated from our circumstances. 
And you think, okay, well, that sound, maybe that sounds good, but like, how do you get that out of this passage? Let me show you how I get this out of, out of this passage, right? So the first thing I want to see is what want us to see is what God says here that helps Habakkuk see that he can be uh, confident in God's character. See, what this primary, this whole passage is, is God saying to Habakkuk, Hey, Habakkuk, you say you see justice everywhere. I mean, injustice everywhere and violence everywhere. And you're asking me, what am I going to do about it? I'm not doing anything. I'm telling you that if for Judah, I'm bringing Babylon to judge them. That's my justness at work through Babylon. But then you say, well, how can you let this unrighteous nation be your instrument for judgment? How is that just? And God is saying, I want you to know you're going to have to wait for it. But you need to know, Habakkuk, the rest of the story. And that is that I'm going to also judge Babylon. I'm not going to let them get away with their injustice. No, I'm a just God. I will bring justice here. My professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, where I went to seminary, Charles Dyer, puts it this way. He says, God sometimes uses evil people to accomplish his larger purpose in life. But he never condones evil, and those who do evil, he holds accountable for their actions. That's the message. uses evil people to accomplish his good purposes in the world, but he never condones their evil practices, and he will always make them pay for them, be accountable to them, because God is just. And for Habakkuk, when he heard this, it was what he needed to grow in his confidence or to regain his confidence in the character of God. That his big complaint in chapter 1 is, God, doesn't seem like you're just any longer. When he hears God say this, he says, yeah, you're right, you are just. My perspective is just too narrow. The, the calendar I'm holding you to is not the calendar, God, that you're working off of. Okay, I can, I can... I can take a deep breath. I can see that you are still just. And guys, for us, if we will be confident in God's character, no matter what circumstances we're facing, it really will help lead to a peace, a rest, a contentment in the middle of whatever we face. Like, if you can be confident that God is loving, if you're confident that God is all-powerful, if you're confident that God is all-wise, if, if you're confident that he's, all, he, that he's just, that will help you have peace. And you might say, hey, well, how do I have that confidence? We're going to get there. But let me just say for now, if you want a pathway to contentment, contentment, rest comes through confidence in God's character. Habakkuk hears this from God. He says, okay, that helps. But then, Habakkuk, but then God says even more than that, it also helps. I just would phrase it this way, that rest comes through uh, connecting to God's cause. So what is God's cause, right? What's his cause in the world? Like, what's he really into? What's most important to him? Well, it's Habakkuk 2.14. It's that... He's, what he's, his cause is, what he's all about, is filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That's what God is doing. What God is about, what his main cause in the world, is that he is reconciling sinners to himself. 
that they would come to know who he is and what he has done for them. And ultimately, it's to reconcile all of creation to himself, to bring it all, to restore all of creation to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. That the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, of who God is and what he has done. That's what God is all about. That's his cause in the world. And guys, if we will connect to that, it truly will help us face any circumstances that come our way. It will help us rest in all our circumstances. And here's why. Because that brings purpose to whatever we face. See, when trials come and trouble comes and pain comes, or disappointments, or shattered dreams. We're left thinking, now what are you doing? Like what, what, well, this doesn't make any sense. And we can't make sense of it. But if we hear God tell us, as God tells Habakkuk here, hey, here's what you need to know. Here's, I might not color in all the lines for you, but here's the big picture. Here's what I'm doing. I'm at work to fill the earth with the knowledge of my glory. I'm at work to reconcile people to myself. I'm at work trying to help people know who I am and what I've done. And when you clue into that, then you can look at your, your troubles from a whole different vantage point. And all of a sudden now you're like, okay, I see, God, how you can use this to do what you're trying to do. See, now it begins to make sense. And at that moment, there is a real true sense of, okay, I might not have chosen this. This might not be the way that I wanted to go, but I understand what you're up to. And you have the option to connect to his cause or not. If you don't, you're going to be living for your own glory. You're going to be living for your own little story, and you're going to be discontent. But if you connect to him, you're going to find, okay, there's purpose here. I can find some rest here. I can find some peace here. No one has talked. <sighs> I could never talk about this without getting choked up. No one has taught me this more uh, than my sister and brother-in-law. See, when, when my sister and brother-in-law uh, had their little girl, Annabelle, first baby, and only baby, uh, she was born with a, a, a lot of birth defects. As a result of those birth defects, she ended up passing away four months at four months old. And yet, and it was the most it was the most painful, it was the most horrific thing that I've ever witnessed up close. But all during Annabelle's life, and then after her passing. My sister and uh, my brother-in-law, Sebastian, they would say over and over again, hey, this is, you know, often through tears, <laughs> this, this is, I would have never chosen this. But here's what I know. God is at work to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And Annabelle's Short life is one way that he can, is accomplishing that. 
And that brought meaning to four terrible months of pain and sorrow and ICU and feeding tubes and on and on and on. And in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of that pain, they were able to find a sense of rest because they could see, okay, her life has a purpose, and it's a grand purpose. And how they respond to what God is trying to do is a way for them, Kaylee and Sebastian, to enter into what God is doing, to enter into his grand purpose. And so the way that they displayed peace and the way that they displayed struggling and the way that they displayed faith and the way that they displayed grace in the midst of that time was a witness to everybody about who God is and what God is like and what God has done that would enable them to have that and interact that way. And as a result, many people's faith in God, knowledge of God grew. And many people came to know Jesus, including my oldest son, Camp. Friends, when things go terrible, it's not going to make sense. But if you are just going to concentrate on your own little story, then you're never going to find contentment. But if you will connect to God's great cause, what he is doing, then you would see, okay, there is a purpose here that can bring rest to you and glory to God and blessing to many. Will you connect to God's cause? When Habakkuk hears God saying, this is what I'm about. See, the, the Babylonians are about pursuing their own glory. That's why they're conquering nation after nation after nation. But here's what I'm telling you. That's, they're going to fall on their face. These nations they conquer are going to rise up and they're going to conquer them like the Persians and Medes did, 539 B.C. That happened. God says, no, no, here, this is what I'm about. Link up to me. Fill in the earth and knowledge my glory. And Habakkuk didn't see fully how that was going to come about. It's interesting, our high, like, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, I could go on and on about this. I don't have time. I shouldn't even say it right now. But, um, like, God used the Babylonian conquest to, to uh, bring the Israelites into exile that led to the, to the Jewish dispersion, that led to the synagogue system, which when Jesus died, lived, died, rose again, that the main way that the message of the gospel went to the ends of the earth was through the synagogues and all of the known world because of what God did ultimately through the beginning of the Babylon dispersion. That here, Now, Habakkuk couldn't see that, and God doesn't say that here, but here's what he does say. He's like, I've got a purpose, and here's what I'm doing. I'm filling the earth and knowledge of glory and Lord. And God did that and is doing that. Will we get on board with that? contentment, rest, is found in it. God also says another thing to Habakkuk, and that is really summed up the very last part of this chapter, and I love these verses. In these verses, and God is communicating to Habakkuk that rest comes through confidence in God's control. Rest comes in confidence in God's control. You see, uh, in these last three verses, 18 through 20, we're given a contrast between idols and the true God. Verse 19 says this, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? 
Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. See, through the contrast, through this contrast, God is helping Habakkuk see that the Babylonians, they don't, they, they don't have anyone actually looking out for them but themselves. So they're calling out to these false gods, saying, Awake and arise. Give us what we need. Be there for us. But they don't, they don't have anyone. These false gods, they're idols. They're, they're, just, they're just inanimate objects covered with precious metal. That's all they are. There's no breath in them at all. But here God says to Habakkuk, now I, I am the true God. And you can be silent before me. See, the Babylonians cry, awake and arise. They do whatever they can to try to get their false god to do for them what they need them to do. <laughs> but God says in contrast, hey, you don't have to shout. You don't have to perform. You can rest. You can be silent before me and trust because I'm in my temple. I'm on my throne. And because of who I am, I'm acting for your good all the time. And Habakkuk hears that. It's in God's character. And he's reminded of it. And his confidence in God's character is renewed. And he's challenged to connect to God's cause. And his confidence in God's control is encouraged. The guy, the guy unlocks the key to contentment, not connected to our circumstances. It's why chapter 3 is nothing but a song of praise to God. Friends, that same kind of contentment is offered to us. It's available to us. We'll just have confidence in God's character and we'll connect to his cause and we'll have confidence in God's control. Then yes, no matter what we can be Content, we can find rest. Well, let me ask you, are you experiencing that? Because I'm not. Most of the time, my contentment is completely tied to my circumstances. Why is that? When this is offered to us, why is this so hard for us to grasp? Well, let me tell you why. It's because we oftentimes lack confidence in God's character. And it's because we oftentimes are driven by a pursuit of our own glory. In fact, if you think about it, we have, we have way more in common with the Babylonians than we would like to admit. Certainly, we're not like no one in here is conquering nations and pillaging and all that stuff, at least that I know of, right? If you are, don't do that anymore. Uh, but we're not doing those horrendous things here. But we, what God says in verse 4 and verse 5 is completely true of us too. See, the Babylonians, what drove them, if you ever wonder, like, why, why would a nation all of a sudden, like, decide they need to conquer all the other nations in the known world? Like, what's driving them to do that? Here's what's driving them to do this. It's because they were prideful and because they were unsatisfied 
They had this insatiable desire to try to cover themselves up with glory, as God says in verse 16. And as they could drive, led them to conquer nation after nation, but never be satisfied because they could never cover themselves with enough glory. They could never earn enough honor. They could never do enough to feel like they've arrived, that they're valuable, that they've proven that they're somebody. And guys, if we're honest with ourselves, can, we can see ourselves in that as well, can't we? All of us are driven to some extent, and really most often, if we're honest, to a large extent. To do what we do, to relate the way we relate, and to relate to whom we relate with, all because we have this insatiable desire, this incredible insecurity, where we're trying to prove that we matter, that we're valuable, that we're beautiful, that we are lovely, that we are worthy. We're all trying to find glory and honor, and we're trying to cover ourselves, cover our shame up with it. And as a result, we get caught up in our own little stories, get that promotion, or to get that girl, or to get in that sorority, or to get that 4.0, or to get that house, or whatever it might be, Whatever we think, if I could just get this, then this would tell me that I'm somebody. It would prove that I'm worthwhile, that I'm beautiful. It's this drive in us to live for our own glory. And it competes with us ever connecting to God's story. And that leads us, that drive, that need, is also what leads us to worship idols. See, the the Babylon, Babylonians worshiping the idols because they, they in verse, chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us that, that might was their God. And because might was their God, then they, what they needed from their God was the, 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 the next thing, to be able to conquer the next nation, to be able to get the wealth of the next nation, all of that over and over again. And they're left striving and trying to get their God, to get them what they need, the glory that they long for. But guess what? Their God is just a stinging statue covered in gold. It cannot do what they were asking it to do. It cannot give them the glory that they longed for. And guys, anything in our lives that we look to to satisfy us, to give us the rest that we really need is an idol. Put it this way, an idol is anything other than God that we put our hope in to give in, to give you a sense of internal rest other than God, that's an idol. And it can be a person, it can be an object, it can be a job, it can be anything. Whatever you look to, you say, man, if I, if I only lived in that house, if I only had that grade point average, if I only was friends with so-and-so, if I only was dating or if I was married or if I had this many kids or this job promotion, then I could rest. Whatever you're pointing to, when you finish that statement, that's your idol. And it will not give you, it can't give you, what you're really looking for, this glory and honor. Because it's not real. <laughs> it's not a God. And yet, if you're like me, I get caught up in that so much. That we don't enjoy the rest that we can in God. 
because we distrust his character and because we live for our own glory and we look to idols that give us what we really want. And guys, because of that, we all deserve judgment. Because of that, we all deserve the wrath of God. We all deserve verse 16 to be pointed towards us. The cup in the Lord's right hand should come to us and utter shame should come upon our glory. That is what we deserve. But hear this. As a Christian, you, you shouldn't ever read Habakkuk 2.16 without another picture coming into your mind. This cup of God's wrath that we deserve where God covers our glory with, our, with, with shame that we deserve. When you read that, you can't help but think about Jesus in the garden. When he's praying, God, will you take this cup from me? He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. I mean, God, he ends up the prayer with, not my will, but yours be done. And then he goes to the cross. And there Jesus drinks fully of the cup of the wrath of God. That, he, that Philippians 2 talks about how God, Jesus, who being fully God, did not hang on to glory that is rightfully his, but emptied himself and became a man and then a servant and went to the cross. Hebrews 12 talks about how we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, did what? Did live, raising its shame. That Jesus having lived a perfect life of serving others, not using others to get his own glory, but serving others, goes to the cross and exchanges his glory for our shame. So that through Jesus, we who deserve to have our finite, terrible little glory covered with shame, Instead, finding grace that God bestows over our shame, the very glory of Jesus. And if you see that, if you believe that, like if that resonates in your heart, and friends, that's what will change you. That's what will transform you. That's what will free you to have the confidence in God's character. If that's who our God is, that he would leave that temple when we were worshiping idols to come down and pursue us and die for us, if that's what he's like, then yeah, I can trust in his character. And why would I live for my glory when he's given me his glory? When I see that God, who's the only one whose opinion ultimately matters, says, you're worthwhile, you're valuable, you're so loved that I died for you, then we say, okay, I don't have to try to find something else to prove my worth. Jesus did that sufficiently for all eternity on the cross. And so now I'm free to connect to God's cause. And you won't turn and worship idols. You turn and worship him because you are confident of his control and his care for you. Rest comes through confidence in God's character. 
connecting to God's cause and confidence in God's control. And the freedom, guys, to have that confidence in God and to connect to his cause comes from, from seeing Jesus taking on our shame so that we could be covered in his honor. Will you believe that? Let's look to Jesus and let's rest. We're going to have an opportunity to do that right now. We're going to take communion. This time of communion is open to anyone who's placed their faith in Christ. And then you would come and you would take the bread and you would take the cup and you would hold in your hands Jesus' tangible reminder that he truly did die in your place, that he really did take on your shame that through faith in him you could receive glory and honor for you're covered in him. Let that resonate. Pray that God would penetrate that deep down into your heart. For it's through that that you will find rest and you'll be able to be content no matter what your circumstances. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, you don't know if you believe this or not. This time is your time that we would encourage you just quietly where you are, silently where you are, just to begin to prayerfully wrestle with God about this. God, is this really what you're like? Is this really what you've done? And if you're ready to believe it, then tell God, I believe. And at that moment, your shame is covered with his righteousness. And you have his glory bestowed on you as you're covered in him. Let's pray. Father God, you're amazing. You know, we, we turn to other things all the time to try to make us content, to find some rest, to give us, to cover our shame with glory. And God, you, we deserve your judgment as a result of that. But because of your character, because this is who you are, that you are a God of grace and love, you satisfied your justness not by giving us what we deserve but by taking it on yourself that jesus you died for us you took our shame you gave us your honor you're amazing teach us that fill us with the knowledge of your glory and then help us connect to your cause that the whole world would know what you're like you're the best christ's name we pray amen